good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. How are we doing today? Good. Sunshine. It's Easter morning. Man, man, I feel like I'm still recovering from that song. That was a, that's a powerful song. The lyrics of that song are just get me going. So glad you guys are here. Um, this is the day for us as Christians that uh, kind of changed everything, right? I think of Easter as is kind of the hinge. Um, on which the weight of all of our faith kind of rests and turns. Um, what we celebrate here at Easter changed the course of history, and to be able to celebrate it together is really cool. So thank you guys so much for being here this morning. Thanks for joining us. And, and I want to say, too, I know John and I think John and Josiah both said it as well, but if you're a guest, um, if you're visiting with us this morning, boy, just so glad that you're here. And I know it could be kind of weird to go to a new place, especially maybe a new church and not really know what to expect, but um, we'd love for you to just relax and we won't make it ask you to do anything strange or embarrassing or anything like uncomfortable, anything like that. But we're just glad that you're here this morning and you've chosen to, to join us. So thank you. Uh, it, we've been in a series over the last month or so called Deception, The Father of Lies. And so this is kind of a, a different sort of series for us in general. We've never done a series this way. And it's also kind of a different way to lead up to Easter. But throughout this series, it's kind of been culminating that way to what we get a chance to celebrate today. So um, the series has been about what the Bible describes as our enemy. And so in lots of different places throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, it says that there is an enemy who hates us, right? It uses words like this. He's, he's the liar. He's the accuser. He's the ruler of this world. It says he looks to steal and kill and destroy. It talks about him as a roaring lion looking to devour us. And so throughout this series, we've been kind of digging in a little bit to that and said, you know, like, if we've got an enemy who hates us, how are we to respond? What are the ways in which he works? And so we've talked about how he looks to accuse us and to deceive us and confuse us on who we are. We spent a week kind of talking about our identity. When, when, we are, when we've said yes to Jesus, we have this new identity. Our old selves are gone, right? And the devil looks to remind us over and over again of our old selves. And we talked about how he looks to distract us as well. And sometimes when we think about being distracted by the devil, by the enemy, we automatically might think of sin, right? Like he's tempting us to sin. And that's certainly one of the ways in which he works, but it's not just that. You know, he also tempts us, distracts us with good things. We have all kinds of good things in this world to kind of vie for our attention. And if we get so focused on the good, it can keep us from also focusing on the great, on the great one. And so we've talked about all of those things this week. Last week, Josiah um, did a great job of talking about how the enemy can get a foothold in our life when we have unforgiveness in our heart, when we hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness. And so throughout this series, we've been kind of digging into that. And early on in the series, we said, um, like, how should we respond? You know, if we have an enemy who's like a lion, a roaring lion, looking to devour us, um, we should probably be intentional in our response. Like, how are we to respond to that? And so um, we looked at a, a one particular verse that I think God, through Peter, was very clear in how we're supposed to react and respond to this enemy that hates us, that looks to devour us. And it's 1 Peter chapter 5. And it's verse, uh, uh, verses 8 and 9. And it says this. It says, Be alert and of sober mind. 
your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then it says, resist him standing firm in the faith. And so we took a week and we spent, I don't know, probably 15, 20 minutes kind of just digging into that verse and saying like, what does that mean? Like those words that we translate into English, like what did they mean in the original language? And what we said, we kind of pulled back and we said essentially what it's saying is relax, be calm, be collected, be clear-minded, be thoughtful, but also be on alert right? Like keep watch, keep your guard up because you have an enemy. We have an enemy and he's like a lion, a roaring hungry lion looking to devour us. However, we can resist him, right? And so we could resist, we could separate ourselves from him and then we lean into Jesus. The, the, the words that he uses in First Peter, standing firm in the faith. What does it mean to stand firm in the Christian faith? Well, what it means is I lean into the one about whom the faith is about, right? I lean into Jesus and I talk to him. I lean into that relationship. I listen to him. I read about him. I spend time with him. And we said when we do that, like it's almost, I don't know, it's almost passive, right? Like sometimes we think of um, spiritual warfare. We have an enemy and so we're at war with this enemy and so we have to be on the aggressive. And it's like, no, spiritual warfare, the way the Bible describes it, is not go hunt down the devil and expose demonic things. That's not what it's about. It's about resisting evil and clinging to Jesus. And when we do that, we're safe and we're protected. Of course, it doesn't mean that there's not gonna be hard things in life. There will be, right? Like that's part of this life. There are storms that we have to endure. There are winds that we have to go through. But what it means is we can stand strong through those things. We will not be shaken. And so this weekend, like I said, this whole series has kind of been building up to this weekend. This weekend, we're going to talk about why. Like, why is it that you and I, we, when we have this aggressive enemy, a strong lion looking to devour us, why is it that all we have to do is resist him and cling to Jesus? That, that's what I want to dig into this weekend. Because Easter is all about the why, okay? I was, I was reading this week about um, something I, I, I don't know that I ever heard of before. I was reading an article by a guy named Doug Estes, and he talked about biomarkers. Anybody know what a biomarker is? Some of you do, a few of you do. I had no idea what a biomarker is. So I started, so I, I read this and it, and it was really interesting to me. And so I, you know, I get online, I start reading a bunch more stuff, you know. And so the, the World Health Organization defines a biomarker this way, ready? Any substance or structure or process that can be measured in the body or its products and influence or predict the incidence of outcome or disease. Y yesterday morning, I was kind of preparing my sermon and my daughter was in the room and I was reading that and she's like, huh? <laughs> what does that mean? Essentially what it means is biomarkers are measurable indicators in your body that show if you have good health or show if you don't have good health, right? And so they're like indicators that show if you have a disease or, it's interesting, if you had like a history of things, if you've had traumatic events, biological events that have happened to you in the history. And so I was reading this and it was so interesting. And in this article that I was reading, it was talking about how blood is a big biomarker. And so um, I started reading about blood, which I know is kind of sadistic, it's a little bit weird, but I started reading about blood because it's so interesting. And what I found is that blood, do you know that your blood goes to every single part of your body. Every single part of your body except one thing. You know what it is? A little trivia. You know what it is? 
your corneas. For some reason, your corneas don't need a blood supply to them, but your blood travels through every other part of your body. And what doctors and researchers are figuring out right now is like we're beginning to understand the power and the, the information, the truth that's sort of locked up inside of our blood. And so if you're familiar with, with, with blood, um, it's, it, it's, there's like three parts to it. You have red blood cells, you have white blood cells, and you have platelets. And so I was reading about those this week, and I got like focused on these white blood cells because in this article, this guy, Doug Estes, he said um, that they're like the warriors of our blood. Our white blood cells are like the warriors of our blood. So they make up less than 1% of our blood, but what they, they make a huge impact. So what happens is they flow through our bloodstream and they battle, they do battle. So if you have a virus, your white blood cells attack the virus. If you have a bacteria in there, a bad bacteria, those white blood cells attack those back, bad bacteria and anything else that threatens our health. So they're kind of like when our body is under attack, our white blood cells are like the first responders to go in and battle those things that are attacking our body and help us heal. That's how they work. And then all of those things, I, this was fascinating to me, all of those things that happen to our body, the biological uh, traumatic events that happen to our body, they leave a trail in our blood that scientists and researchers are like beginning to be able to recognize and see. So, so let me give you an example. So if you had a heart attack uh, 20 years ago, you could take your, your blood, they could take your blood and analyze it and it could show that you had a heart attack. Isn't that interesting? They say there's new research now that if you're, say you're playing football and you get your bell rung, you get hit really hard on the head and you go to the sideline, you're kind of seeing stars. They could take some of your blood on the sideline and they can uh, analyze it right there and they can tell you if you have a concussion on the spot. Isn't that amazing? Right? They're, they're, if you have multiple sclerosis, MS, they could take your blood and they could go, you have this. They're, they're finding out now that you can, they can detect and pinpoint autism in children by analyzing your blood. And so, so like our blood contains kind of a, a, a history. It's almost can be read like a history book of the biological events that happen in our body. And even more than that, like a live feed of what's currently happening in our body. I thought it was so interesting. So, so Estes said this, go to, go to that next slide. Estes said, it's thought that blood records all the biological events of our life. And so I'm reading that this week. I'm like, wow, that is so interesting. You know, and we're like, we're, we think we're so smart today. We're so advanced today. And we're like just beginning to scratch the surface of all of the information and truth and power that's found in our blood. And, and my next thought, so I'm thinking about, you know, that I'm reading that this week and we're in Easter week. And I start thinking about how many times the Bible talks about blood. It's interesting. We're beginning to understand the significance of our blood, but the Bible all throughout, in fact, you read it at first, you're like, this is a little weird, like it's a little morbid. There's a lot of blood in the Bible, but it talks about the power and the significance of blood all throughout. So you read the Bible and you read about, you know, these, these bloody animal sacrifices. They would sacrifice these animals because blood covers over sin right? Blood leads to forgiveness. You read about these battles where this blood was shed. Uh, you read about how the, the, uh, the blood is the life of the animal. I thought that's so interesting. Like you read that numerous places in the Old Testament and, and God says, you're not allowed to drink blood that's wrong. When you, so when you kill an animal and you're going to eat him, you're going to cook the animal to eat it, you pour out the blood. You don't drink the blood. The blood is precious. It's the life of the animal. 
When we talk about what, you, so last uh, uh, Friday night, this past Friday, we did our community Good Friday service and we did communion together as well. And communion, you, you, we drank grape juice, right? And that grape juice symbolized Jesus' blood shed for us. And so like, all throughout the Bible, you see all of these references to blood and blood is precious. And so you read it and you're like, wow, that's a big deal to God, right? For some reason, blood is a big deal to God. Our science and our research is like just beginning to understand how big of a deal blood is and how much power and information is in the blood. So I'm chewing on all that stuff. And you know what I started thinking about now? Like how, if, if our blood is so significant, if there's so much healing power and truth and information in our blood, how much more significant is the blood of Christ, right? Like how much more significant is the blood of Jesus? So if we, if we, if we read this and we go, I believe it, like if we, if we read what it says about Jesus and we believe it, he's God the Son, right? He's God the Son. He's, he's God made flesh. He's God with skin on. If my blood is so powerful and filled with truth and information, how much more is his blood those things? Right? And then when you start reading what the Bible says about the power of his blood, it's, it's fascinating. So, so let me read you a couple things. So just, just in general, this is Hebrews 9.22. This is what it says. It says, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So for some reason, in God's economy, in God's way of structuring things, in order to receive forgiveness, there has to be shedding of blood. There has to be death. That's why they sacrificed all these animals in the Old Testament. But then you read a little bit more in Hebrews 9, and you see this. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Think about that. The blood of Christ somehow cleanses our consciences, right? It leads to forgiveness through the, the healing power of his blood. How about this? This is Isaiah 53. Maybe this is a familiar passage to some of us. It says, he was talking about Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, you know what a wound, like what makes a wound a wound? bloody, right? Like that's part of what makes a wound a wound. By his wounds, we are healed. And I think about that and I'm like, you know, about less than 1% of our blood cells are white blood cells, right? And they help us heal. Jesus's blood is all about healing too. It's all about healing too. And it's a different kind of healing. Our white blood cells help us heal physically. Jesus's blood helps us heal in a different way. It helps us heal. It cleanses us from the power of sin in our lives that infects us, that convicts us, that enslaves us. His blood heals us and it washes us clean. I was thinking about that. Actually, I was thinking about it more this morning. Like, I remember, like, what is, okay, so, so what? What does that mean for us? It means this, that sin has no power in my life anymore because of Jesus' blood. I'm not a slave to it anymore. I remember, I remember like feeling almost like I didn't have a choice in sin sometimes. You know, like it was just what was normal for me. It was what was natural to me. 
That's no longer, sin doesn't have power over me that I don't give it, right? And I remember feeling the weight of all of my, all of the wrong things that I've done. Like I know my past, I know my mistakes, my bad choices, you know yours. If we do the uncomfortable work of stopping and thinking about it, we could feel pretty guilty about it, right? Jesus' blood wipes out that guilt. The, wet, the sting of sin is gone. That's powerful. And then, you know, so we've been in the series about this enemy that we have, right? Does Jesus' blood have any power over the enemy? Like, does it have any effect over the enemy? Well, the answer is yes. Listen to this. This is earlier in Hebrews chapter 2. It says, by his death, by Jesus' death, by his shed blood, his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. What does Jesus' blood do? It breaks the power of the devil, right? How about this? This is Colossians 2. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Listen to this. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, the powers and authorities uh, are referring to the spiritual powers of darkness. That's kind of what that means. So he disarmed the spiritual powers of darkness. He made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. Guys, listen, the power of Jesus' blood, one, cleanses us from sin, heals us. There's healing power of sin, right? Over sin. But it also breaks the power of the enemy in our lives. He, he no longer has grounds to accuse us. It, listen, if you're a Christian, the enemy no longer has grounds to accuse you, to convict you, to make you feel guilty anymore. That's all taken away from us. For those of us that trust, that accept, that say yes to Jesus, the devil's power over us is taken away at the cross. And here's what that means. It means I don't have to live in fear anymore. Like when we read about you got an enemy who's like a lion prowling around looking to devour you, that can bring fear in our lives, right? We live in a world where there's lots of evil. That's reality. But it means you and I don't have to fear. It's why that passage in 1 Peter is true. All we have to do is resist the devil and cling to Jesus. You know, it's interesting. The devil's not the only one in the Bible who's called a lion. We, we, we just read that in 1 Peter, right? He's like a roaring lion looking to devour us. He's not the only one in the Bible who's called a lion. You know who else is called a lion in the Bible? God. He's called the Lion of Judah. And guess what? Our lion's bigger, <laughs> right? He's bigger and stronger. And so all we have to do, we don't need to fear evil. All we have to do is resist and cling to our God lion who is our protector, and so maybe this morning you're, you're here um, and you wouldn't identify as a Christian. Like you wouldn't say, um, yeah, that's, that's who I am. Maybe you're here because you're curious or maybe you're here because somebody invited you and you kind of felt like, okay, I need to come. It's cool. Um, but maybe you hear this and, you know, Jesus dying on the cross and how his blood shed for us frees us from sin, frees us from the power of the enemy in our lives. And you're like, listen, all right, some guy died on the cross 2,000 years ago claiming to be God, claiming to be able to free people from the power of sin and the devil. How could I know that he's really God? 
right? Like, how could I know that he was really God and not like a crazy man claiming to be God? Well, I want you to know, it's a good, it's a good question. I think it's a fair question. It's a question that I had in my spiritual journey as well. Here's the deal. The cross isn't the end of the story. What we celebrated on Good Friday isn't the end of the story. It gets crazier, right? So Jesus died. Jesus is buried in a tomb. Jesus is sealed in the tomb, but he didn't stay dead. In fact, he said when he was alive that he was going to be killed and that he was going to rise again, come back to life after three days. And guess what? He did, right? He did. So let me ask you this question. Do you know why Jesus rose from the dead? So if, if the power of the enemy was broken at the cross when Jesus died, if the power of sin in our life was broken at the cross, why did Jesus have to rise from the dead? Like, why is that so important? It's so important because he proves that he's real. He proves that what he said was legit. He proves that what he said was truth. Anybody can die for what they believe in. Anybody could die for a lie. Right? Like people die for lies all the time. Usually they believe that lie to be true. But anybody could die and say whatever they want. But not everybody can come back to life. Right? In fact, no one can except the one who has the power over life and death. Guys, Jesus rose from the dead to show us that we can trust him. That we can believe all of those things that he said. That God loved us so much that he sent his only son to live and die for us so that we could be forgiven. That's why Jesus rose from the dead. To show us that all, to prove to us that all of these things that he said are true. And then he didn't just rise from the dead and like show himself for a day or two days to, you know, Two people or three people are just as close as friends. Do you know how long, a little more trivia, you know how long that Jesus walked on the earth having come back to life like the risen Jesus? Do you know how long? 40 days. 40 days. And the Bible documents all of these times when he showed himself to people. In fact, there's one time that the Bible details where he shows himself to 500 people at the same time. 500 people. Like maybe you could fool one person. Maybe you could fool three people, but 500 people at the same time saw him. One of his best friends, a guy named Thomas, hadn't seen him, hasn't, hadn't seen the risen Jesus yet. When he showed himself to the other disciples, Thomas wasn't there, and Thomas was doubting. That's where we get the term doubting Thomas. You're doubting Thomas. Thomas was having trouble believing. And so you know what he did? Jesus shows himself to him. He's like, Thomas, take your finger, put it in the nail holes. I'm real. I'm alive, right? I'll tell you what was... For, for in my faith, in my spiritual journey, one of, the, one of the things, maybe the biggest thing that caused me to be able to trust that the resurrection is real. All of, the, all of Christianity hinges on the resurrection. If the resurrection didn't happen, we're here for no reason. We're here for a lie, right? Here's, here's what helped me so much trust that Jesus is real and what he said, that he's actually God. I look at the lies of the other the, the apostles, his disciples, these 12 guys, actually end up being 11 guys, that when Jesus was killed, when he's arrested and killed on the cross, every one of them abandoned him. They ran away. They're like, I, I guess this isn't real. I guess he's not who he said he was. And then something happened that every single one of them either died or was willing to die because they believed that their friend and leader, Jesus, came back to life. I step back, I'm like, what in the world would cause 11 guys who were cowards and ran away one minute 
to three days later being willing to die for their faith that their leader was actually God the Son. I could not explain that in my mind in any other way other than he is who he said he is. So Jesus died like he said he was going to, defeating the power of sin and the devil. He rose again like he said he was going to, showing his disciples and us that he was actually who he said he was. And you know what else? It doesn't just end there. So it doesn't end at Good Friday. It doesn't just end at what we celebrate at Easter. You know what else Jesus said? He said, I'm coming back, right? I'm coming back as well. Easter isn't the end of the story. God defeated the devil at the cross, but let's be honest, and we said this throughout this series, the devil has lots of influence in this world. There's all kinds of rotten stuff in this world, right? Here's what I know. Here's what's so clear in the Bible. Jesus is coming back one day to put an end to him and all of the other miserable parts of our world. Sin and sickness and suffering and death, all of it one day will be gone. And, and here's a beautiful promise. Those of us that have chosen to love and trust Jesus with our lives, that we've said, I want you to lead my life. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. Here's the promise. When he comes back, we're going to get a chance to be with him forever in paradise, where all of those things, in the, the book of Revelation says, there's no more mourning or death or crying or pain. It's all gone. All the rotten stuff in life is gone. And so we're going to get exactly what we want, exactly what we've been longing for. But here's another truth. Those of us that have chosen not to love, not to trust Jesus, they get what they want as well. Separation from him, right? Apart from the God that loves him, loves them, with none of the promises of paradise, where, where none of the promises of paradise exist. See, God loves us, but he gives us freedom. He says, I love you, and you have the choice to love me back or not love me back. And ultimately, he respects our decision, right? Ultimately, you and I get exactly what we want with God. If you want to know God and if you want to follow him, if you want to live for him, you get to do that for the rest of this life and for eternity. If you don't, if you don't want to have anything to do with God in your life, you also get to, to have that, to experience that in this life and for eternity. I'm going to invite the band. Why don't you guys come, come up? And as they do, they're going to, we're going to sing a couple more songs, two more songs, and then we're going to send you on your way. For the, I'm sure we all have busy days this morning. But as they're coming up here, I know there's a lot of distractions coming up here, so, but I'd love for you to just to tune in for one second here. As they're coming up here, before I, you know, we sing together, I want to challenge you. Because Easter, you know, there's all kinds of distractions in our lives. Easter, you know, a lot of times we go to church and we sing these songs, but we're all at different places in our spiritual journey, right? Here's my question to you that I'd love for you to wrestle with this morning. What will you do with Jesus? Like, what will you do with Jesus? We sing about him on the cross. We sing about the empty tomb. Hey, here's what I know. I know that some of us in this room are absolutely committed to him. We love him. Maybe we've been following him for a long time. We want his spirit to lead us in this life. Like, I, I know that many of us feel that way. But I also know that many of us aren't there. 
that, that maybe we're skeptical of all of this, that maybe we're unsure of all this, or maybe we've seen people in our lives that call themselves Christians that act uh, foolish or hypocritical, and it pushes us away, and we're like, I, if that's what being a Christian is, I don't want to be that. I'm not, and and it, causes, it causes us to hesitate in identifying with Jesus and following Jesus. Guys, listen, can I just humbly challenge you this morning, if God is whispering to your heart, you know, we're all different places, I get it. If you say this morning and you're not sure, you're skeptical, if God's whispering to your heart, I think you owe it to yourself to do what you need to do to make an informed decision about him, right? To like do what you need to do. If you've got questions, to talk to people who might have answers instead of just thinking about something else, instead of just being distracted with something else. And I think it is a very valid prayer for us to ask God, God, if you are real, if you exist, please give me what I need to, un to believe and rec to recognize that you're real and believe in you and trust you. I think it's a very valid prayer for us to pray. And I'd encourage you, I'd challenge you, if you've been hurt by Christians in the past, Please don't let the foolishness or the hypocrisy of other Christians push you away from Jesus. That, that is like my biggest fear in my life as a pastor, but even more than that as a Christian, that I would do something, because I'm not perfect, just like none of you are perfect, and I make mistakes. My biggest fear is that people would look at my mistakes and they would go, he calls himself a Christian. I don't want Jesus. If that's where you're at this morning, I challenge you, please don't let other Christians push you away from Christ. Jesus' desire for us, if you sit here this morning and you feel accused, you feel condemned, you feel ashamed, you feel the weight of your sin, Jesus desires that we would be set free. He knows you. He knows everything about you. And he loves you. And he wants us to experience hope and peace and freedom and joy and purpose different than anything that the world can provide. I was talking to somebody this week who was looking for their purpose in this life and they were looking, God was not part of the equation. There is a purpose that we could have from God that's different than anything else that this world can offer us. So I challenge you wherever we're at this morning, may we remember Jesus' life the way that he lived, the things that he told us, how to live life to the fullest. May we remember the cross, his blood shed for us. May we remember the empty tomb, he is risen. May we remember that he said he's coming back. And may we remember the paradise that he promises to each of us that love him.